Welcome to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. My name is Pete Scazzaro. Today's topic is disrupting false peace as God's path to true peacemaking, part one. I spent my early years, from my family growing up to early adult years, even into my 30s, uh, avoiding conflict, difficult conversations uh, with people, and actually becoming a Christian gave me another veneer to pretend that everything was fine uh, because I could quote scriptures like, blessed are the peacemakers. But actually, that's one of the most wrongly interpreted teachings of Jesus in the church today. And I learned that the hard way. The way of true peace, actually, according to Jesus, will never come by pretending that what is wrong is right. It actually requires disrupting false peace. You can't build Jesus' kingdom on lies or fear. In fact, it's by taking a fresh look at the life and ministry of Jesus that we learn what true peacemaking really is, as you'll hear about in this podcast. So today I want to share with you a message from one of the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount from Jesus. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God, Matthew 5, 9. And I promise you, it will shift your life as it did mine. And I trust it will motivate you to get serious on the journey of formation and discipleship with Jesus that does integrate emotional health and spiritual maturity. So each week we seek to offer you a free resource for this journey. And this week uh, I wanna make available to you our personal assessment, how emotionally healthy are you? And basically taking a look and find out, am I an emotional infant, child, teenager, or adult? Uh, it can be found at emotionallyhealthy.org slash mature. Literally thousands, tens of thousands of people have taken it around the world and have found it uh, hugely helpful as a diagnostic tool along the way in their journey. So let me encourage you to do that at emotionallyhealthy.org slash mature. So for now, let's listen in. Let me invite you to listen into the message on uh, disrupting false peace as God's path to true peacemaking. Enjoy. All right, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. That's our text this morning. And uh, so why don't we pray? And as we begin again, we're on a series, so we've been moving through this. And today's going to be in two parts, because there's so much about peacemaking, as you'll see. And so I'm not going to say everything, and uh, so don't go off the deep end on which you didn't hear. Uh, but let's pray as we begin about, remember last week's sermon about being pure of heart, about uh, where people that uh, will one thing, we, we choose God's will, not our own will. And we want to be a surrendering to his love and discerning where he's going and following him. So let's pray in that great prayer of Jesus. And our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, Lord. We say praise your name, not our name, but your name, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it's done in heaven. Lord, even this, you know, this next period of time, 30, 40 minutes, that your will be done. Your kingdom would come, Lord, and that our lives would be aligned with you. And Lord, we surrender to your love. We, we surrender our hearts and wills to you. And we trust you, Lord, with our futures. Give us the courage to go wherever you're going and to not follow our own understanding, but rather you and your spirit leading. So help us discern your presence, to follow your cloud wherever it goes. And may this word, Lord, be alive for each one of us. And may each one of us, Lord, apply it personally and directly to our life situation as we walk out of here today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're in Matthew 5, verse uh, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Now, every Christmas, I send Christmas cards, and I receive Christmas cards with the verse 
from Luke 2 that says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And God in the Old Testament is referred to a couple of times as the Lord, Yahweh, is peace. In fact, Jesus is referred to in, in Isaiah chapter 9, one of the prophecies about the Messiah when he comes, that his name, that a great light will burst into the darkness, Isaiah 9, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, that Jesus himself will be the Prince of Peace. That's who he is. He's a Prince of Peace. And the Holy Spirit is referred to as, as a Spirit of Peace. And he releases peace, one of the fruits of the Spirit, into us. And so you've got this, this whole theme of the, of the Bible of God of Peace. And, and in fact, a theme, a theme of the Old Testament is, is shalom or, or peace. And 600 times, over 600 times, it's his reference that God's going to come into history as the Messiah and bring shalom. And not just, shalom doesn't refer to just inward peace, but this kind of a physical, this social, spiritual well-being. Shalom, peace on the earth. And so, uh, you know, there's this great promise, you know, and, and, and when Christ shows up, and uh, in, in John 14, 27, Jesus says, peace I leave with you, and my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled, and don't be afraid. So, so the great promise is Jesus is going to come, and he says, I'm going to give you a peace the world knows not of. And... Uh, receive it, you know, let it fill you, and it's nothing like the world, and, and uh, you know, don't be troubled, don't be afraid, it's going to be okay. So, again, in this verse then, this morning of the Beatitudes, which is, again, it, it's very important that this is number seven. There's six Beatitudes that precede it. And so Jesus says, now, blessed are, are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And, and he's saying this, basically, that you've received a peace from me, and, and uh, that having received this peace from God, that now you're to go out and, and you, you bring it, you release it all around you to, to families, to friends, to neighborhoods, to workplaces, to church, to, you know, uh, you know, to, the, to the political realm. We're people who just we bring peace wherever we go. That's who sons of God, God are. And so we've met the Prince of Peace, and now we give him away to others. So it flows out of all the other Beatitudes you know, blessed are the poor in spirit. Remember the humble, the broken. Blessed are those who mourn. We're, we grieve. We're meek. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. We're, we're merciful. We're pure of heart. And now out of that, we, we bring peace. Now, this, this verse is one of the most misunderstood verses, actually, in the whole New Testament. Uh, it's, uh, it's been badly interpreted, badly misunderstood. Now, the dictionary describes peacemaker as this, quote, a peacemaker is someone who's a go-between or a diplomat, or a mediator, or a placator, a pacifier. And that's what we think, oh, he's such a peacemaker. That's not what this verse is talking about at all. All right, this verse is about conflict. That blessed are those who engage in conflict, all right? It's, it's people who, who are involved in trouble. And in fact, Jesus, if you look at Jesus' life, he was the peacemaker. His life was full of conflict, full of stress, and full of trouble. That true peacemakers disrupt worldly peace and bring war so that there can be a true peace. So today I'm going to break up our message into two simple parts. And I hope you'll never use the word peacemaker the same ever again. The way we use it in our dictionary and the way people use it, the way the world uses peacemaker. And even the way the church uses it, because the churches so misunderstand peacemaking that uh, from now on, you will always think of peacemakers. I'm going to describe it today. So here's what we're going to do. Part one, I want to just talk about, oh yeah, I want to talk about false peacemakers. Let me go back here. False peacemakers, and then I want to talk to you about true peacemakers. I want you to go to this verse in Matthew 10, verses 34 to 38, and I want to read it to you before I begin here. 
into false peacemakers. Because a few chapters later, after this beatitude in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus expands on this peacemaker thing, and here's what he says in verse 34 of chapter 10 of Matthew. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Now, is this a good Mother's Day message or what? <laughs> what a great text, all right? So, hang with me because we've got, we have to spend a little bit of time on this issue of false peacemakers. And uh, then we'll define true peacemakers because it is so radically different than most of us think. And, and so I, I, I'll just summarize it. False peacemakers appease, avoid, and are afraid. Now, basically, false peacemakers maintain a stable, worldly peace. And they don't upset dad, mom, spouse, friends, neighbors. You know, it's kind of like co-workers. It's a no-talk rule. And we know there are certain topics or themes or, that we don't talk about, and we can't talk about so nobody gets upset. And the result is you end up ignoring problems, ignoring difficulties and issues. And so one of the ways you know if you're a false peacemaker is because false pe peacemakers are everywhere, especially in nice churches, and, and tend to appease and, and avoid and uh, really are afraid. And so let me just throw out to you some what this looks like, okay? Because to give you a picture of, of, of a false peacemaker. As you know, Jerry and I work a lot with marriages and married couples. And many marriages are stable, but they're not intimate. Now, they work. They function, but there's not a great deal of intimacy. And it's kind of an unhealthy system with a false peace. And good discipleship for us is to get is that somebody would get angry enough in the relationship to disrupt the false peace and force change. But it's very hard because it's easier to stay with a false peace, at least it's stable, and I know what's going on. First, if I disrupt it, who knows what will happen? Because false peacemaking, you can never have the kingdom of God and true peace unless you first disrupt the false peace. And so think of friendships. You're with some friends, and you, they're doing something as a group that you don't want to do. Or they're talking about something that you don't really agree with. But you're afraid to speak up, because you know that if you do, you, know, if you, you may lose some friends, and they may reject you. And, and so you kind of go along with it, not to get them upset. Now, I mean, what is a great illustration? Imagine you go to lunch after church. And about 15 to 20 of you, you're at a diner, and everybody's ordering stuff. And you, you realize you're broke. You don't have a lot of money in the bank. So you're trying to save money. So you say, you know what? You do the old, I'm not really that hungry routine. <laughs> and so you say, you know what? I'll just have a salad and a glass of water. And you're thinking, okay, I can, that's you know, $6.25. I can take that, you know? Meanwhile, the other 15, 18 people at the table, they're ordering, you know, Onion rings, fries, steaks, you know, glass of wine over here, expensive, of course. And they're just ordering, you know, they're, they're desserts, carrot cake, cheesecakes, you know, and 
double order fries. And, you know, you're realizing it's just going, and you're like, okay, it's fine, you know, I got mine. And then, of course, at the end of the lunch, someone says, hey, there's so many of us here. We all ordered something different. Why don't we just divide the bill up equally? <laughs> and you're looking around, and you're thinking, oh, no, you know, but, and so they divide the bill up, and it's $25 a person. <laughs> and that includes a tip. And so you're dying on the inside, but you don't say anything. And because uh, you don't want to look stupid. And so you pay the $25, you know? And you say, never again. You say, I'm not going to lunch with those new life people again, you know? <laughs> but you had a peace. You were peacemaker, right? Yeah, no, no, you were a false peacemaker and a coward, and you paid it $25. But you know what it's like to even be in a family, and no one, someone's, or you're taking responsibility and covering for people. This is very prevalent, especially when there's an addiction going on in families. But very often, somebody's under-functioning, and so you're kind of like, you know, you're, you're, you're making everything work, and, and uh, you don't speak up, you don't deal with truth, you kind of cover over. And uh, come on, how many of us have holidays with family members? And uh, there's so much unspoken stuff going on. But you're just like, just get through the dinner. It's going to be okay. Everything's fine. Yes, you know. But it's all a false peace uh, because it's not real at all. And you knew that if people ever had an honest conversation, this would be a very messy dinner here. But we're going to get through it. I mean, we are familiar with a, a large Christian organization that has to hire a new leader. And I, I was with Jerry in the car uh, just two days ago, and I said, you know, I, I hope they hire a peacemaker. And uh, because, you know, I said, that place really needs to be disrupted. Someone needs to have the courage to speak the truth and bring leadership to the organization. And uh, she says, oh, I mean, she was like so confused what I was talking about. Because again, even she goes, I, I, I think you're using peacemaker in a totally different way. I said, you're right. They would like to get someone who's going to make everybody happy, politic around, Keep it all working fine and not make a lot of changes. I said, but that would be hiring a false peacemaker. But I pray they hire a true peacemaker that can take that, the resource of that organization and do something good for the kingdom of God. Many churches, and you know, we do a little bit of traveling now, and it's amazing how easy it is. And maybe, maybe, many of you maybe participate in something like that, where church itself can become a false peacemaking. Nobody says anything. Just keep it all. The machine's working. Everything's going okay. But don't, don't go there. Don't open that box, because who knows what will happen. It'll be a big mess. I, uh, I know for myself for years, I mean, the first eight, nine years of new life, I mean, I, I was a false peacemaker that did not want to disrupt peace. I wanted to make everybody happy. As someone said to me, I liked you better then. You know, I was like, yeah, whatever, whatever. As long as everything, you know, you're, you're doing good. And I, and I would lie a lot. I mean, I'd lie because I wouldn't say the truth of what I felt or thought because I didn't want you not to like me or whatever my consequences there might be. So out of a desire to appease uh, and keep the worldly peace, uh, I lied a lot. And I, and I realized you can't, you can't build the kingdom of God on lies. You can only build it on truth. But finally for me, the, even as I, I began to see this and understand this, it finally got to a point where I said, that's it. I'm going to do true peacemaking. I'm going to speak truth. And I remember uh, every, it was really difficult in the beginning because I mean, you understand it was, it was, it was all of life. And uh, I remember, for example, being with a, you know, a, a, a friend. And you know, one nice thing about New York City is a lot of us who are 
pastors of churches, we actually have a good relationship. We're friends. I mean, we've known each other for years, and we joke around, oh, yeah, yeah, so-and-so's at your church now, yeah, yeah, and so-and-so over here, yeah, and you, you keep them, I'll keep them, you know, and we joke around, you know, and, you know, have them. But it's, real, it's very nice. So anyway, I, I, ha- I had this friend, and uh, he was really very critical of churches and, and uh, other pastors, and this would go on. I just, I just realized now, you know, we were friends, I just got the place, I just I can't take it anymore. You know, I just, I'm, I'm going to, and I said, I'm going to confront it. You're, you're a social gathering, you're like, don't mess up the night. And I said, I, I'm just, I'm done. I'm, I just, I can't do it anymore. I said, I do not agree with this. I said, this person's a, you know, it's a good man, it's a good church, and every church got their problems, and blah, 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 blah. And I said, I really appreciate that you wouldn't critique other churches in front of me, because I love the church, and, I, I, and that's not what I'm about, you know. And, and it was very, and I remember it, it cost a friendship. It cost a friendship. Because, you understand, it was like, but I was, I got along with it for actually a couple of years. At social gatherings, you know, kind of put your head down, you try to change the topic. But I said, I can't live like this anymore, in this false piece, in this lying, because it's not, it's not true. And, uh, I mean, even our marriage, I mean, you understand, I, I was such a false peacemaker, I, I, I was living partial truths all around, even in my relationship with God. <laughs> you know, you, you pray, you think God doesn't know what's going on, you know, and and in my marriage, and my kids, and I remember even with Jerry, what, what a challenge it was, and I understand, we were married at that point, like nine years, and Jerry, she's not here second service, okay, <laughs> but this is used with permission, okay, I check, and I remember doing dishes one day, and Jerry walking in, and she used to have a, some rougher edges, and she, she walked in, and she says, aren't you done the dishes yet? You know, a little bit, of, you know, a dagger, and I was like, you know, and I remember doing the dishes, and I said, okay, you know. In the past, I would have done, you know, said, no, you know, I'm, you know inside I want to kill her, you know. I'm like, you know, I just, so I said, okay, you know, Jerry, Jerry, you know, your tone of voice, okay, your tone of voice, honey, had contempt in it, okay, and I do not appreciate it. Now, understand that in nine years of marriage, I never, I, I, I was, she was not used to me turning and saying, Jerry, you know, this has to stop. But I was a huge step. But she knew, she said, if you can do it with me, you'll do it with everybody. And you won't let other people trample all over you either. And, but it was an tr- incredible switch. I remember, you know, when I first got into emotional, healthy spirituality and, and grasping this verse, I remember every day was going to war. It was going to be truthful with myself, with God, and with other people. And it was every relationship beginning to be honest. You know, you had a whole life of appeasing and avoiding and being afraid and not speaking truth, it's quite a challenge to begin to do it. And every day was going to battle, and it was quite liberating. We know people who are engaged, who don't want to go through the wedding, who do because they don't want to disrupt the peace, the false peace. They don't want to upset the guy or the woman. They don't want to upset the families and money and the hall and, and actually go through it out of uh, not willing to be a true peacemaker. I mean, you know, you may know, there are some people on an extreme case. You say, what would you like to eat? Whatever. What do you think? Whatever. Where do you want to go? Whatever. You know, it's like, well, I mean, do you have any opinions? Whatever. You know, they're just, they're, just, they're so over the top in, in just appeasing. And it really, see, in some parenting, some of us as parents, with our own kids, we can't even be true peacemakers and say, no, you know, Johnny, you're not getting this. You know, whatever, whatever, whatever. Because it's so in us to, to do it. Uh, and you know, it's like as a grown children, you know, many of us are older here and our parents are 
you know, we're, we're grown up, but still, we know our parents have plans for our lives and expectations, but you don't talk about it. And so it's always kind of like there under this kind of a, you know, guilt and these comments and sarcasm versus just saying, you know what? Mom or dad, I love you, but I'm, I'm, this is where I'm going with my life, you know, and I, I love you and I respect you and I honor you, but people will say, let's, let's not be under this illusion that I'm going to be this person that you've dreamed I'm going to become my whole life. But you can't have true, close, healthy family life or relationships built on lies that aren't true. I mean, I know employers, I mean, one, one person in particular, he paid his father-in-law for years at his business, and his father-in-law never worked a day at the company. And, I, and, it, and he was kind of, he was complaining, you know, and criticizing about his wife's family and this and that and ripping them up. And I, and, and I said, well, why, why, why do you pay the father-in-law if he doesn't work and you don't have the money to begin with? He goes, because they would kill me. They would kill me if I did. And it was like, you know, I'm a victim. And and I said, you know, but I said, no, you're not a victim. I said, you don't have to pay him for years and he doesn't work for you and never even came inside the company. I, I'll take the job, you know, I mean, my gosh. You know, and, um, but there are, some of you are maybe bosses or know of employers that are unable to even hold employees accountable for, you know, your performance or doing your job because I, I I'm, can't even be true peacemaking when you're paying the person. And of course, it goes vice versa as an employee, sometimes with a boss or a supervisor, and you've got to say something that's inappropriate or out of order that, you know, you just end up with a false peace. And as you know, at workplaces, what goes on, right? All this gossip and backbiting and emails. And, you know, it's just all so worldly peace of stability. And then somebody disappears and nobody says anything. And, and, and it's just a worldly peace. He says, my people don't, that's not my people. Because they've been delivered out of the domain of darkness. They've experienced true peace. They've been disrupted themselves. They've been set free. They're humble. They're poor of spirit. They're mournful. They're meek. They're merciful. They're hungry and thirsty for God. They're free. And they understand the kingdom comes only when false pieces are disrupted. And then the kingdom of true peace can come. But they understand there has to first be a war before there's peace. And uh, they're willing to do it. You know, Terry Reel's done a lot of work with young girls and uh, women, and it's very interesting, he's done a big gender study on, on many young girls who lose their ability, he argues, to embrace conflict when they're 10, 12, 13 years old. And in general, he argues that the gender of women tends to avoid conflict more than men. I don't know, I'm a big avoider, appeaser myself. Um, and uh, they, they lose their, their voice, and they end up giving in and uh, resenting as a result, and, and will uh, lose truth. And I don't know how true that is, but we've seen it practically in many situations. So I don't know how, what you do, and I think we all do various things to have a false peace because we, we just want it to be peaceful, and we want to move on and have a fun life. And it's not very fun to have disruption and violence and war. And so I said, well, I'll just be a worldly peacemaker, and it'll work. And so I, I, I've done them all myself. And I, I mean, here, here's my five big ones, and you can just note them, think about them for what you want. Some of us suppress the truth we so want peace or a worldly peace that we consciously choose to like not to avoid the truth or forget what's going on so that we can we, we suppress it and we live in unreality. Others of us, we repress it. We do it unconsciously. We actually forget truth or avoid truth because it's too painful to look at and we make a decision um, unconsciously to, to forget about it. Some of us disassociate. Some of us are in situations where it's almost like we're so in such an appeasing mode 
that we, un, we, in a sense, we take our emotional or mental selves like away somewhere else. It's almost like we're half there, but we're not fully there. Like we split ourselves because it's such craziness or lies or untruth, and we're participating in it, but it's so unlike us that we, in a sense, have to split ourselves. It's called disassociation. It's a very interesting thought. I, I've done it, you know. Or some of us, we minimize what's going on. And we minimize and we say, you know what? Uh, it's not that serious. But if it was somebody else and they were in it, we'd say, oh my gosh, that's so serious. But we minimize it because it's us. So we're just so used to it, it's not a big deal. And then, of course, the final is some of us, we're just in delusion. We're, just, we're, we're, we're out of touch with reality. Lies and craziness is actually going on around us. But you know what? We have somehow, we have no, no feelings about it. We're, we're not even like present with it anymore. Uh, we, we believe something that's contrary to the facts that are actually right in front of us. And so here, here's the theme of this. Ready? You can't have lies and have true peace. That no kingdom of God can come where there's false peace and lies. And you end up sacrificing true inner peace for a false outer peace. And so, you know, I know some people say, oh, it's all I've ever known is just be quiet. Your opinion doesn't matter, and it's in your DNA. Just go along with the ride. And I want you to hear this. What Jesus is saying is, blessed are the peacemakers, is that is an injustice to yourself. It's an injustice to other people. It's, you're not loving them. And it's an injustice, of course, to God and the world around us. Because God crafted you and brought you into his kingdom and made you his own and is transforming you that you would engage the world not as a false peacemaker, but as a true one. And... Uh, the way we learn about this true one is we look at Jesus. I mean, how do we know what a true peacemaker does and how they function? Well, you look at Jesus. He is a true peacemaker. And uh, it, it's not an accident that if you look at the verse, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God, the verse that follows it is verse 10, 11 and 12. And that's the verses that say, blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. It's not an accident that even, see, peacemakers is at the end. Because you, you, you've embraced the first six Beatitudes, or, and now you've gotten the peacemakers. Now what's going to follow is going to be trouble. And um, trouble and conflict is part of the mission of Jesus. So true peacemakers disrupt false peace so that we can experience true kingdom peace. So we're willing, we don't do it for the sake of doing it. We do it to have true kingdom peace. So now look at this verse with me one more time. This Matthew 10, 34 and 35, 38. Because Jesus doesn't say, I, I bless the peace lovers. We all love peace. Blessed are the peace lovers. I love peace. Yeah, right, I do too. Blessed are the peace wanters. I want peace too. He says, blessed are the peace makers. We actually make peace. We, we engage the world to make peace, which means we disrupt. Now, again, Jesus had to pass through spiritual war with his family, with his disciples, with the crowds, with the religious leaders, with the Romans. In order to bring peace, he had to pass through war. Now, that's why it said he stirs up Judea by all his teachings, Luke 23, you know, and Paul was called a troublemaker. And, and Jesus knew that his life and his mission was a, was a tough troublesome affair. I mean, he said, enter through the narrow gate. He wants you to know this is the way it's going to be. It's going to be a war. He goes, enter through the narrow gate. 
Matthew 7, 13. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many go through it. But narrow is the road and small the gate that leads to life and few ever find it. And here's what Jesus says. He says, listen, I want you to know this is the way it's going to be. You're going to follow me. This is the plan. This is not a mistake. Don't say this can't be God's will because I'm telling in advance this is the way it's going to go. And he says this. Look, verse 34. Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace on the earth. I've, come, I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. He says, don't expect to be a parade on you know, Wall Street with confetti coming down that you're now a peacemaker. Okay, there's going to be persecution, there's going to be hostility, and you're going to experience some rejection. I mean, look at this verse. He says, the sword of decision goes right down in the middle of families. Because I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. And he goes, and he goes, he's talking about the family. Verse 35, I've come to turn a father against mother, daughter against, you know, daughter against mother, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. I mean, oh my goodness. I mean, he, he's, he says when someone in the family decides seriously to follow Jesus, trouble starts. That's what he's saying. And that the critical decision for Christ in relation to your family is to prefer him to your parents and your children. It's pretty heavy, isn't it? That's what he says here. And now, again, he's in the ancient Near East. Some of you come from the eastern part of the world. Family loyalty was, was huge. I mean, I mean, family honor, the family name, the absoluteness of the family, the family. And uh, the family was so honored in the ancient Near East. And here's Jesus. I mean, I want you to feel the force of this. Can you imagine him speaking this? They say, this guy is crazy. I've come not to bring peace, but a sword right down the middle of a family. When everything is family. And uh, because there's nothing more beautiful than a close family. We all want a close family. But it has to be a close family based on true peace. But Jesus is saying, I'm greater than the family. And only when we are, for his sake, willing to lose our families, will we find our families. Because you can't keep your family on a lie in false peace to apparently hold it together for stability and have the kingdom of God. True peace requires a disruption so that, I mean, disrupting false peace so the truth can come. So in, in a sense, we walk this very narrow road as Christians between family idolatry on one end and family neglect on the other. It's a very narrow road. But Jesus is really clear that, you know what, for most of us, I'd rather be arrested and flogged and crucified than have to alienate my family. Don't ask me to do this. This is much more difficult than getting crucified or beat up or put in prison. And um, I, mean, here, I mean, who does Jesus, I don't know if you, I step in, I look at this passage and you look at verse 37, for example, he says, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. It's like, Jesus, who do you think you are? He crashes into history and he crashes into our lives and he basically says, your most deep loyalties, your deepest affections, your, your natural ties, I want you to know something, I'm demanding to be the most important person in your life. He just, he just disrupts our lives and crashes in and says, I'm number one, even before your kids and your parents, as much as you love them. And uh, so he says, and in this context, when he says, take up your cross, in verse 38, he's saying, the cross is to be a true peacemaker. That's the cross 
to say, I'm willing to trust you, Lord, and to be a true peacemaker and disrupt false peace in a loving, gracious way. Now, you know, this, this, this past weekend, we did a marriage conference here at New Life. And really, it was 12 hours about true peacemaking. It was basically helping people break up falsehood and false pieces and, and generational ways of behaving and speaking and listening and resolving conflict and breaking up generations of habits, of ethnicities, of culture, and learning to be true peacemakers, Christ's way. And I'm telling you, it was a war out there. And uh, again, even with myself, when I began to speak truth in 1996, and I began to walk out, okay, I'm going to speak truth and honesty to people, I felt like I was betraying my culture and my family. I felt like I was the worst pastor in America. And uh, it was, it was, it, it felt like betrayal, but I got, I realized I was experiencing such joy such freedom, such blessing, such a life of the kingdom that can only come when there's true peace and truth. Now, next week, let me go back. Next week will be part two of this, all right? So now some people get a hold of this truth I'm saying and they go crazy. And some of you are like saying, I can't wait to leave this room. <laughs> and I can't wait to talk to somebody. And People have done great damage with this, you know. So, so you know, somebody said, "You know, you're a jerk." You know, I, I never liked you. You know that, don't you? It's like, you know, and you're ugly, or oh no, you know. And, and so, you know, this is very dangerous territory. And next week I'll finish it because this does build on the other beatitudes, Matthew three, five, three, four, five, six, seven, and eight. And uh, again, it's dangerous. And so please, just hold yourself together here. Because uh, it, it, it flows out of a heart of love for people, not out of anger and rage. It's a whole different issue. And, uh, but don't, ma- don't make no mistake that as you engage in true peacemaking, you are engaged in conflict and some persecution. That's the next verse there. And so people like Gandhi... Remember Gandhi in India? He was killed um, in cold blood for trying to bring peace. And Anwar Sadat, even peacemaking in Egypt, trying to bridge peace with the Israelis, you know, one of his own people killed him. You know, Martin Luther King, peacemaking, you know, here in America in the 60s, killed by a sniper's bullet. And Ishtak Rabin, you know, in 96, trying to bring peace with the Palestinians, you know, who, I mean, they, they, one of his own people, you know, extremists killed him. And uh, so let's not kid ourselves that peacemaking is a dangerous business. And that's why we are afraid. Because it is scary. And I don't know about you, but everything in me wants to run. You know, Jackie, you peacemake, I'll follow when it's over. I mean, I, it's not in my DNA to do such a thing. It's in my DNA to appease and give in and say, you know, whatever. But here's the great promise. You know, a great promise of Jesus is, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And there's two different words in, 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 in the original language for sons. But this is the one for dignity and honor. And what he's saying is that when you engage in true peacemaking and are willing to disrupt false peace, you are bearing a family resemblance to our God who has invaded history and disrupted our worlds to bring true peace and die for us. And really, when this is not a goal to be attained. It's actually like a, a joy and a happiness to enter into as a family member that You were created to actually be a true peacemaker. You were created to exert appropriate power in the name of Jesus and speak truth and disrupt false peace so that true peace can come. You were made like that. And when you function like that, God's way, you experience the kingdom of God. 
the dignity and joy of really being like your heavenly father. But when you don't do it and you appease and you give in and you embrace lies because you were afraid, you end up denying your own humanity and something dies inside of you spiritually. That's why, again, it's built as blessed are the peacemakers. We enter the world as very different people and engage it unafraid because our security and our stability and our source is in the living God. And we know who we are and we love people. The way you know you're growing in God is you love people more. If you think you're growing in God and you love people less, I'm telling you, you are not growing in God. And uh, so you engage them to disrupt them because you love them. All right, let me make two applications here and I want the worship team to come on forward. So I want you to think with me for a minute of one area, application one, where you are a false peacemaker. Where are you in your life today, maybe at work or at home or in friendships or here at church or a group? It was so funny. Right after church, I went down to get a cup of coffee and, you know, a, I see a friend in our church, beeline right to me, Pete, I got something to tell you. I'm like, oh, God. That was great. That was good. It was good. I'm leaving immediately. It's Mother's Day. But think about one area where you're a false peacemaker, where you're appeasing or you're avoiding or you're afraid. And just before God, I I guess I want to invite you to invite God to change the DNA of who you are, which if you're like me, I'm just a natural, in my natural flesh, I am a coward to the max. And that God would give you the grace and the courage and the trust in him as a God whose love endures forever to actually begin to change. That God will change you from the inside out and you'll actually engage that person or situations or that system at work in, a, in, in God's way. So you got, that, you got one situation where maybe you're being a false peacemaker and out of love for the situation, love for God and love for people and love for yourself to engage it versus avoiding it. All right, got that? But the second is, I guess I want to invite you to, uh, to receive his peace and experience his peace personally. Some of you are really good at conflict. In fact, you are a warrior and that you actually chop people's heads off. And when you start going after conflict, you get enraged. And actually, when I would in the past engage in conflict, I did it kind of like I learned growing up in my family and my culture, what I saw, and I went on the war path. You know, and so I couldn't quite find a balance. Like, how do I do it God's way? And some of you, as you think about engaging and disrupting false peace, a part of you is like, I can't wait to do it. And, but you realize there's some of your flesh in there that's, that's bad. And there's, there's a, a rage and a bitterness and an anger that's inappropriate. And you need Jesus to touch you and, and soften you and cause you to be poor of spirit and meek and mournful and hungering and thirsting for him and merciful because you realize it's not there. And I love this verse of Jesus. He says, I told, I've told you these things that in me you might have peace. You see, there's a peace that you can find in the world from comfort and security and possessions or whatever, but there's a peace that's found in Jesus that, that's, that the world knows nothing of. And that's what I, I think we all got to jump into this morning or dive into that pool into the very peace of Jesus. But he makes it clear, in the world, you will have tribulation. You'll have trouble. So whether you do it God's way or you do it your own way, you're going to have trouble anyway. So why not just have trouble his way? The world's full of trouble. So why not disrupt the false peace and have that kind of trouble? But take heart, 
I have overcome the world. I just love that. I've overcome the world. So let's ask the Lord to, those of you in that second category, ask God to break through you and that hardness or that rage and that venom, that love would pour out of you towards people that you realize a false peace needs to be disrupted. So can we all stand? And I'm going to pray, and then, Michael, put the words of that song up, and we're going to sing this great song. You know, it's a great prayer when it's all been said and done. And it's, can I live my life for truth? And just bow with me for a moment. And just offer your heart right now to God. Jesus, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And that word blessed means this is the path of life. This is the right road of life. It's a narrow road. That the call for your life is not to be an appeaser or an avoider or live in fear. But that you would appropriately, out of the love of Jesus, that you would disrupt a false peace and to bring that, that God's peace would come. And you'd have courage to get up and not be a wimp and not be a non-person but to speak the truth in love, to live the truth in love, to stick with people in love like Jesus. So God, help me, Lord. You know how weak I am, Lord. You know my upbringing and the family and maybe my culture. It just goes everything against me, Lord. To follow you seems impossible, Lord. A sword through the family, Lord. That Oh, Lord, have mercy. Have mercy on me, Lord. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. And Lord, others of us, you, you know my rage, my anger, my hatred, Lord, that when I do disrupt false peace, Lord, I, I make it worse because my spirit's all wrong. So Lord, I ask you to come and invade my heart. Come, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill me, Lord, with your peace and your love, Lord, that that's what would flow out of me. Let's make this a prayer as well as a worship back to God. In Jesus' name.